a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you this morning. Phone lines are open. We're taking your calls at 801 575 8255. You can text us at 57500. Top of the hour feature was about bindweed or morning glory, the weed, for those people who maybe don't uh, understand bindweed. Sometimes I look at those weeds and I don't know what they're called, Ton. So, um, but we're getting a lot of other questions about bindweed and weeds. And our next listener wants to know, what about using concentrated vinegar as a weed killer? Are there downsides to that? Well, it's just, it is what it is. And the commercial vinegar products, and there's some commercial, any organic weed killer is not going to be systemic. And so what you'll get is a really good kill on the top growth, but it doesn't penetrate into the roots. And so even concentrated vinegar, it's almost like uh, chemical cultivation because when you're lightly cultivating or say using a garden hoe, you're taking out the top couple inches of the crown and all the leaves. Mm -hmm. And that cutting motion will harm the roots in that it's costing the plant energy to regrow, but you've done nothing to kill the roots with that gardening hoe and these organic herbicides, which you can use and they're great, are in essence the same things to where you just kill the top of the plant and none of them will penetrate into the roots. Now there is one reduced risk herbicide using, I believe, EDTA, or it's, it's an iron chelate. Now, on bindweed, I don't think it would do anything, really. Mm-hmm. But on lawn weeds, you can use these reduced risk, this uh, herbicide, a lawn weed killer, that will be systemic. You have to spray it three weeks apart, so spray and then spray again in three weeks. They take longer, but against things like dandelions, they're very effective. So there are those out there, but for bindweed, any organic spray, because it doesn't penetrate into the roots, isn't really going to be effective short of just killing the tops back. Okay. You mentioned the cardboard method um, to kill bindweed and how long it takes, but this person wants to know, can you use that same method to kill grass and then be able to turn it into a flower bed? You can. um, Just cover it up and it will rot and... Uh, it will kill the grass out and you can just rake it off and then do your thing. Now I did have somebody in my neighborhood go in and do this. And I don't know that they even sprayed the grass out, but they covered everything with cardboard, put three or four inches of mulch over the top, ran some drip to some bushes and perennials and called it good. 
but they have a tree right there with roots under the entire area that now 50% of the roots are not being regularly watered two or three months after the fact, the tree's almost dead. And so when you're using this to kill out portions of your lawn, whether you're doing organically or whatever, if you have trees and shrubs under the lawn with roots under, then you need to account for that. And they probably should have in, installed drip under the mulch to keep the tree healthy. Mm-hmm. And so these are, it's just planning longer term, but it's just one of those things to consider when you're taking out your lawn. Okay. Uh, next listener says they would like to take a start from a rose bush and they'd like to know how to do that and when would be the best time to do it. I would wait for it's next complicated. year. It is. And you can, there's several methods that you can use. You can use rooting hormones. You can root them out in water. But I would wait for spring. And the easiest thing for me to say is just get on YouTube and look up um, propagate rose propagation or propagating rose cuttings or something along those lines. Tough to describe. And just watch some of those videos. Okay. Next person, this is Val. She, Val would like to know, is it possible that echinacea in a container can overwinter in that container? Not really. Unless you move the container into an unheated garage or unheated shed to where it's protected from the coldest weather, mm-hmm. it's going to need to be watered every two or three weeks because the water will evaporate or sublimate out, however you want to put it. That would be their best shot of it overwintering in a container. We have several questions about the E. coli scare in Lehigh and how it's impacting plants. Uh, This person wants to know, uh, they water their tomato plants with secondary water only. Does the E. coli come up through the roots or are they safe? The E. coli does not come up through the roots. There's been a few studies showing that a little bit may, but it doesn't get into the fruit. So as long as they've been using drip, then the fruit should be okay if it's washed and cooked. But if it's been sprinkled, overhead sprinkled, no, it is not safe to eat. Okay, and they need to worry about, we talked about this earlier, uh, uh Plants that are planted underground, root plants, you you can't eat those. No, you can't eat those because there's just too much of a risk for them to get you sick. But we should emphasize that, unfortunately, some children did get sick, but it was because they were playing in the little kiddie pools that you can purchase or running through sprinklers and then picking their nose or drinking the water or putting their fingers in their mouth. And so out of caution... You know, try to keep the kids off the lawn. They shouldn't be playing on it. Don't let them run through sprinklers. If you fill fill up a swimming pool, use your culinary water. And then some other things that they might look at for their gardens is if they can still find soaker hoses um, from hardware stores or garden centers, purchase some soaker hoses. Those are the black hoses that just kind of ooze water out of them. Mm-hmm. And then run a hose from their hose bib from the house that's culinary and run it into the garden. Because those soaker hoses only put out a few gallons per minute and um, it might even be lower than that. You only need to water a row for 15 or 20 minutes to get them. And you'll do this twice a week. You're not using a lot of culinary water, especially if you have a small garden and you have things like tomatoes and peppers and eggplants, anything above ground, you can use that culinary to start to irrigate if you're worried and then you're safe. 
Yeah, a lot of people are worried about this. Uh, next listener wants to know, well, is the produce sold at farmer's markets that was grown in Lehigh okay? That's up to you to decide. This happened a couple of years ago where we had some algal blooms and the fruit was actually considered safe. It was washed. But because of the public distrust of anything along those lines, they didn't sell a lot of fruit. And so, so sad. But because I don't know how that fruit was irrigated and a lot of those growers are not having to meet what are called gap standards. I can't say if it's safe or not. And so if you can talk to growers and say they're under gap stands for um, good agricultural practices Mm -hmm. and their voluntary standards, sometimes and sometimes mandatory that if you grow vegetables, especially if you have more than a few acres, you've got to at least meet what's called USDA gap to try to minimize the risks of E. coli. And in these gap standards, there are measures that they have to follow to minimize E. coli and other pathogens from being on the fruit. And so if they're following gap standards, I would consider using it. But if it's just a backyard grower, I don't know. Okay. The other, another question is, what about onions? Can you Don't eat, eat them. onions. Nope, they're compost. Unfortunately, I also think of my chives as onions. I can eat the chives, right? As long as they've been drip irrigated. Well, if you lived in Lehigh, as long as they've been drip irrigated. Okay, but this is these are only for Lehigh. These That's the other part of the only problem. Only for We've Lehigh. We've got a lot of people concerned that do have secondary water yeah. that this is that this could be a problem for them. You know, we're getting calls in our office from Lehigh, not just Lehigh, but West Point. From Logan, from Nephi, you know, people, do I have to turn my garden under? This is only for Lehigh. The water is regularly tested by whoever you get it from if you're on secondary. And unless they put it on an advisory, you are fine to keep irrigating with the secondary water. Okay, before we take a break, let's take this next text. They say, how do I get rid of fungus gnats in my house plants? Don't water them so much. Fungus gnats love really wet soil. You can get crane flies in there and a few other things, but dry them out. You don't want to wilt them down, but let them get pretty dry before you re-irrigate. Now, make sure that they're up off the ground and they have drainage so that they're not sitting in pools of water too. Those are two of the main things. There is a product that's organic called Natrol and it's G-N-A-T-R-O-L. I think you can get it on Amazon that you can do a soil drench to kill the larvae because the larvae are the one things actually doing damage to the plants because they're feeding on the roots. And so you can try something like Natrol, but the primary thing is to dry them out And then some people will put a third to a half of an inch of sand over the top of the potting soil Mm -hmm. so that the sand dries out and the fungus gnats can't lay more eggs. But the key Mm. here is you still need to dry out your plants between irrigation. All right. We're going to take a break. Come back with Tracy's question. She'll be up next. Number to call, or it could be he, I'm sorry. Number to call, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to 
Give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You can text us at 57500. We have one text question before we go back to our phone lines. This person says, what causes tomato plants to have leaves curl and is there anything you can do about it? There's two different things and they're probably going to need to look them up. One of them is called physiological leaf roll and it's totally normal. The leaves roll up into a cigar shape. Mm -hmm. And although we do not advocate smoking cigars, just put that out there, but they, that's physiological leaf roll and it's totally fine. You don't need to worry about it. The other disease is called curly top, and that one you do need to worry about. But we start seeing curly top in late June, and it becomes a little less common as the season progresses. The only other thing that will do it is herbicide damage from 2,4-D or dicamba. And so they need to look up curly top, physiological leaf roll, and herbicide damage in tomatoes to see if they can figure out what it is. All right. Tracy is on the line in Ogden. Good morning, Tracy. What was your question? Well, it wasn't a question. It was, uh, I keep hearing all these questions about how uh, to get more water to trees or trees that are dying because mm-hmm. they're not getting enough water for various things. And my, excuse me, my sister told me about something that I got on Amazon. And while I've been on hold, I've been scrolling and scrolling through my orders and I can't find it. But it looks like a giant tea. It's about four feet tall. And the handles are the top of the T, and right where the junction is, a hose attaches to that. And then you push that down into the ground around the drip line so that you can deep water those trees. And we brought three of our trees back from almost uh, – who that were really severely uh, stressed from uh, not getting enough water. Yeah, that would work. It's really labor-intensive. And if you wanted to do it once just to get water down there – I think that'd be great, but I think longer term that 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 is seems like a decent product. I actually have one, but what I would do is get a hose with a hose in sprinkler and just run a hose in sprinkler underneath the canopy of the tree for forty five minutes at a time until I can get that water down you know eighteen inches deep and then I think that would be as effective or more effective and less work too. And so this is like a triage that you could go out and do, but the hose and sprinklers I think are going to be easier and get water into more places than the uh, deep, the deep waters that you can use. Tracy, thanks for the suggestion though. I didn't even know that those existed until she mentioned it. Thank you. Uh, next listener, Ton says out of 12 gladiola bulbs, three flowered, uh, what might that be? Are they a perennial or should they plant new bulbs next year? There's a lot that can go into it. Too much shade would do it. And when some winter damage may, if they're overcrowded, that could also cause some problems. The gladiolas are marginally hardy. So if you lived in a slightly warmer area, then they would be reliably perennial. 
But because we're in northern Utah, they'll overwinter for two or three years. And then as soon as we get a really hard winter, if they don't have mulch over the top of them, they will be killed out. All right. Luann is on the line in Ogden. Good morning, Luann. What was your question? I have an apricot tree that's about four or five years old. And this year is the first year it had any apricots on it. But at the base of the tree, next to the trunk, is another set of growth coming up, and I wonder if it's not from the graft of the apricot tree, but the leaves are completely different, so I know it's not the apricot. Can I kill that out without killing the tree? Nope, you can't. And how would I do it? You can't. You cannot kill it without killing the tree. So it would kill the tree. It absolutely would. Just keep cutting them. They're actually probably a plum rootstock that the apricot is grafted onto and they'll come back as something that is very inferior to your apricot tree. And so once every three or four weeks, go out with some loppers and just keep cutting them off. Will they eventually die out then? No, they won't. It's, It's what's happening is there's some partial grafting compatibility between the rootstock and the top. And when you get grafting compatibility, the rootstock's more likely to throw off these suckers. And all you can do is keep cutting them back. You can try using a product called Sucker Stopper to where you trim them and then hurry and spray. And that will probably slow them down. But anything that you put on there to kill the suckers is going to be systemic and it will also kill the tree. Okay, that was what I wanted to know. So I just have to keep... Keep plugging away. Yeah, keep plugging away and look for some sucker stopper or similar product and see if that helps. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Lan, for your call this morning. Next listener, Ton says, when is the best time, or asks, when is the best time to divide peonies and how long will it take for them to produce flowers after division? This is Barry in Highland who's asking. So we generally recommend dividing them after they go dormant for the season in the fall. And... They probably won't produce flowers for at least a year, maybe two years, sometimes three, once Mm -hmm. you divide them. They don't actually need to be divided, although you can. They will sit there for 50 years and be just fine. If they want more details, Iowa State University has a really good fact sheet. They recommend dividing in September. I would wait until they're fully dormant here, just climactic differences. But otherwise, the principles in the Iowa State University fact sheet will apply. All right. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. When we come back, we're going to talk about water-wise landscaping for your park strip. We have a special guest. Savannah Peterson is going to join us for that. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us, 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.